0: This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, digital walkthighters? Welcome back to another episode of the one, the only, the Oil and Gas Startup Podcast. What's up, Colin? What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Back in the studio
1: another episode. Back in the cave. Back in the cave. Unfortunately, we're not going to be here too much longer. Yeah, Camden's going to be done with their new building May first. They said they're knocking down this building, so they're not going to let us stay here. Unfortunately, so if you want to take a peek at that,
0: go check out our vlog. Uh, the last vlog that we posted. Well, by this time, it's not going to be the last vlog. Yeah, check out vlog number what seven? Yeah, number seven. Number seven. There's a walkthrough of
1: like office. the office. Yeah, it's pretty cool. A ton of space. We don't have any news. No news kind of been boring. I guess we can just roll right into this. We got some of my friends here from Mission Secure. We got Dan and Matt. How are you guys doing?
2: Doing good. Doing all right. Thanks
1: good and good. So the first time we met Mission Secure was I think about 6 months ago at the Blue Bear CEO Summit. Dan, you were there. You gave your presentation. Blue Bear invested in you guys, right? Your portfolio company from for That's them. That's correct. Okay, so give us a high-level 40,000 foot view of what Mission Secure is, and then we'll kind of roll it back into
3: uh, some of y'all's background. Sure. So uh, Mission Secure is also uh, known as MSI for short. So MSI is an industrial control system cybersecurity company. And so what we do is we focus on the operational environments and ensure that any kind of uh, cyber malicious activities will be first identified and then mitigated against. And uh, we can do that through a platform that we have composed of hardware and software.
1: So you actually have one of the coolest demos that I've seen. It's an actual physical demo. Do you remember that one, Jake? Mm -hmm. You saw it there? So I I thought it was very unique the way you guys did it because it's something
0: that I thought you wouldn't be able to actually demo, but you guys kind of just built a small-scale version of exactly what you guys are kind of protecting against. I thought that was pretty neat.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think instead of just going in with a PowerPoint or just talking about it, actually showing something means a lot more, right? When you can actually put your hands on it, see it, smell it, taste it kind of thing. So we actually built a small-scale industrial control system using actual components that you would find out in the field, and then we applied our protections into it, and we have some sample attacks that we can show because how do you actually show a protection sh- solution working when nothing happens? So you want to show an attack that actually can, can lodge some kind of impact and then show how our solution is able to mitigate that. I think you guys probably take the award for the most
1: effort put into your demonstration. Yeah, you, you actually go make a uh, commercial industrial-grade demo and then come up with attacks and the software obviously you've already developed so it's pretty cool well, thank you. we'll make a video of it sometime and post it out on our on our linkedin so everybody can check it out so from that event you know obviously we went through the demo and everything but i want to hear a little bit both about you guys so matt just started on y'all's team and i know matt because he's thrown me a lot in judo he's uh <laughs> you don't want to mess with this guy he'll whoop your ass so <laughs> i'll tell you that right now but we'll, let's start with dan so dan your are cto Multiple-time entrepreneur. Let's talk a little bit about what you did in the past and then
3: what's brought, you, what's brought you here. Sure. So my background is really in all forms of technology, information technology. So I have a, a Bachelor of Science, in Computer Science, and minor in systems engineering. And so definitely didn't go right into technology work. I actually was a volunteer in the Peace Corps right after college. But then when I came back, I got back into my background in, in information technology and uh, worked at the Peace Corps headquarters for a while. Was in charge of all their overseas IT operations for a bit and then this opportunity came about for my first startup which was called Rome Secure and we were involved in emergency communication solutions so When text messaging was not a thing in the U.S., we actually had a platform that was able to provide emergency text messages across text-enabled devices. So when you think back to early 2000 timeframe, again, no one was texting in the U.S. I mean, today that sounds a little crazy because everyone does. But back then, everyone had devices and they could receive text messages, but no one was doing it. We actually employed that platform to be able to broadcast out messages in short periods of time to large amounts of people. And similar to Amber Alerts today, where you know something happens, a small child's lost, and then they send out a message to a large swath of people. But we leveraged that and actually built up the company and ended up selling that to Cooper Industries at around 2007. And after that, I stayed on for a little bit, but then looked at other opportunities and started my own little consulting business, and then really looked to start something that had meaning into it. And... At the time, during Rome Secure, we actually made contact with a professor down at the University of Virginia, and he actually started doing some research that was originally funded by the U.S. military. They were concerned with what could happen with a cyber attack into some of their military platforms. And so the origins of that research is really what started the whole concept for MSI today. And so we took some of that original information and uh, some concepts, and we started the company and focused really on initially uh, military systems where the research started, but then quickly found that the whole physical platform environment also existed in the commercial world known as industrial control systems. And so these concepts to protect that really applied towards that as well. And so we opened up our eyes into this whole new market that we could enter. And so now we're focused on both the commercial as well as the military space in terms of where MSI is focused on. So what kind
0: of of stuff do you guys do in the military space? Like, what are you predicting? I mean, obviously, like, cybersecurity, right? So, like, but what kind of applications?
3: Sure. So there's still physical environments. So we're doing work on manned aerial vehicles and also on shipboard control systems. So if you think about the military, they operate lots of different types of things. And a lot of them have similar types of operations, like industrial control systems do. So our solutions and uh, concepts certainly apply into those environments as well.
1: Okay. Speaking of military applications, Matt? you're in the navy correct
2: yeah yeah i was uh, was a navy bomb tech deep sea diver and rescue swimmer for about eight years and uh, when it came time to wind down my career and my wife and i just knew we wanted to move back to texas that was really it and then uh, we had a friend of ours that worked at a company called nov and brought me in under his wing and really kind of taught me the business that time i was chasing rigs on the upstream side and i uh, spent about four years there then went to a company called honeywell process solutions and that's where i learned pretty much all the the downstream process control network, ICS side of the business right there. And yeah, I kind of consider myself like an oil and gas mutt, you know, I, if I found no home upstream or downstream, but I have seen a lot of these facilities, I'll just come out and say it, a dire need for protection, especially if it's if it's a legacy system, you know, the need for some sort of cyber protection is is great.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because a cybersecurity company, OpenVPN, is actually about to sponsor our podcast. And so I was looking at some cybersecurity stats and I think it was from the Houston Chronicle, did a study and they said they they were blown away when they went and looked at some of these oil and gas companies. And, you know, some of the software that they're using, you know, was, you know, still operating on Windows XP and some very old operating system. They said not only are they so behind when it comes to cybersecurity, but just the systems that everything's built on is antiquated in the first place. Is this something that you guys are seeing as a as a problem with your technology getting adopted? Is it something that can come in and be deployed regardless of what systems are already in place, or are you having a challenge with those older systems?
2: I wouldn't necessarily say with the with the legacy systems. You know, our platform is third-party neutral or third-party agnostic, however you want to say it. So wh- whoever is going to be the OEM for the DCS or the automation system is not really going to affect how we're going to implement our platform and protect your system. I will say, though, that I think some of the problem with some of these legacy systems not wanting to migrate, I think is rooted in some of the older older vintages of, the, of either it was an Emerson or maybe a Honeywell system. Those things were were built bulletproof. It was proprietary coding, and it was almost impossible to hack at that time. And you could have one of those systems, and last you 20, 30 years. And I think with, with the way that technology is accelerating today and the shelf life of some of the the nodes or whatever it is that you're using to run a system is going to expire a lot quicker than they did 10 years ago. And I, I, I think a lot of the people in the field right now are still... Waking up to that reality that, you know, we can't run a Windows XP. You know, I mean, we're, we're getting to the point where we're not going to be able to run Windows 7 now because they're not going to be uh, updated or supported by Microsoft.
1: SMB compatible or interoperable anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cybersecurity is not something that we get the chance to talk about a lot. I think we talked about it with IBM at ATCE and like one of our very first. Uh, well, yeah, we, talk, we We
0: don't talk about it a whole lot publicly, but there's a lot of conversations that happen privately and I think it, it's because the people who know what's really going on with cybersecurity are scared shitless. And there's a whole bunch of people who should be scared shitless knowing that their company is being attacked probably like 500 times a day by, you know, government run Syrian or Russian or whatever may be groups. Because I've seen this firsthand with the systems that we put into the ENPs, You can see all the attacks and like, it's crazy. You can just get bombarded with like, seriously, like 500, like a small company get attacked like 500 times a day. Absolutely insane. And so it's something that we're trying to bring more awareness to. You know, it's something that the industry needs. And so we've even talked about with the Energy Tech Night for the next event, just focusing specifically on, on like cybersecurity,
1: which I think we, we talked about last time you were in here. Yeah. So. I mean, I think it was Jill's presentation that really kind of opened my eyes, you know, as oil and gas adopts IOT and automation, et cetera, et cetera. Every sensor that you have out in the field or in a facility is an entry point to be at tech. And so as we adopt these new technologies, especially in the upstream sector, that increases risk exposure for a security breach as well. So, Matt, we talked about this a few days ago, or actually yesterday, when you're here in the office. Where are you guys seeing adoption within oil and gas? Is this mainly midstream applications? Are you seeing adoption in upstream? You know, where are you kind of getting traction at in the space?
2: I'd say latest traction has probably been midstream. Uh, right now but i think we've got installation i think at all points on the stream right now okay definitely have some contractors looking at us onshore and offshore with some operators pet kim and kim a little, little bit a little bit slower their budgeting cycle is a little bit longer than I'd say uh, everybody on the upstream you know uh, some some of the drilling contractors and operators on the upstream side that they they can drop a hot po and get things rolling and get a project you know running hot when they want to guys in the pet kim and Kim industry I've noticed that you know they're a little bit more diligent they're going to take their time you know we're, we're going to think about you know next year's budgeting process for three or four months and we're going to look at every project that's on the table and we're going to, you know, and that, that's how they just go about business. That's just the difference in speed of business. I think. Mm-hmm.
1: That makes sense. So Dan, you guys started, you kind of started standing up the energy operation in Houston. I mean, it's really been within the last several months that you guys have kind of started building the team. Is that correct?
3: We've had people here in Houston for a couple of years, actually. Oh, but, okay. uh, we formalize an office and started building a larger team Yeah, just recently. I would say in the past, I think, uh, four months or so. Okay, yeah,
1: because I think when we met, it was about six months ago, and I knew you guys were starting to look, to for, look for, yeah, for team members. So what other industries are you guys deploying this technology in? I know you've said that you have the military applications, but are there any other uh, big industrial applications that you guys have discovered that's been kind of adopting it?
3: Absolutely. So this, can, this technology that we have and the approach can certainly apply to a number of different areas, but we have to focus as a small company. We can't spread ourselves too thin. So one of the other focus areas is dubbed smart cities, Mm -hmm. and that encompasses places like water treatment, also transportation infrastructure, which relies a lot on on industrial control type equipment. And so those are the other key areas that we're focused on today.
1: Okay. How did you guys kind of narrow down? I mean, I think it's a very important point when you're a startup that you can't try to go attack every industry and boil the ocean. How did you all kind of narrow down what industries you wanted to attack? Well,
3: a lot of it was where we saw the fastest adoption. So where we saw the opportunity starting to form, where we saw people getting to that realization a little bit faster that their environments are vulnerable and that they need to do something about it. But we are seeing over the course of the many years that we've been in business that I think the realization has really peaked here. And so early on, it was a lot of convincing that people had problems, the whole idea of, well, nothing's happened to us, so why do we need to worry about it or do anything about it? But I think these days enough has happened. There's been a lot of press around different incidents that have occurred. And so I think at the board level, C-level uh, management, they're really seeing that this is an issue that they have to address. And so they're starting to, to really understand where they sit, also uh, what kind of solutions are out there. And so you'll find a different spectrum of where people are. I mean, some people are just early in the process, but some people are already adopting solutions as some of our customers are.
0: Well, are there any? You mentioned some big incidents that have been in the press. Is there anything that stick out to you? as like, like any kind of like metrics around that, like they had
3: X amount of attack and it was, I don't know, it cost them X amount of dollars or downtime or anything like that? Sure. So uh, I think as far as actual like damages and impact yeah. on the industrial side, I mean, there's certainly been damage, physical damage and things like that. As far as dollar amounts, I don't want to hazard a guess on those. Yeah. But the things that, one incident that's really concerning in my mind is something where the malicious actors targeted safety systems. And so, I don't know if the audience here is familiar with how industrial control systems and environments are set up, but go uh, ahead and go ahead and dive uh, into it if you need to. <laughs> well, what, what I'll say is that there's a basic process that is is running. So in a facility or refinery, it's it's actually doing the refining. and then there will be, in, in most cases where there's some criticality to it, there'll be what's called a, a safety system, and this is actually a, a safeguard. so it's a separate from the main process, and its job is actually to stop the worst of the worst. and so whether it's to bring the process down to a safe stop. Whether it's to control flow or whatever it might be, these safety systems are kind of the last measure to to stop the, the worst damage that could occur. And so the concerning part about this action that occurred by these malicious actors is that they targeted a safety system. And the goal there demonstrates that they are trying to cause the maximum amount of damage in these environments because they are also starting to understand these environments and know that the safety system is there to even target. Yeah, you can lose some sleep after... Dan talking for a while. I don't know that <laughs> happened at the Blue Bear yeah. CEO
1: someone was like yeah, unfortunately. Shit, man. <laughs> yeah,
3: unfortunately that's a reality we're in, right? I yeah. mean, similar to to cybersecurity in general. So if you think about enterprise and cybersecurity, uh, you know, the OPM breach, Target hack, you know, all these things that have occurred, I mean, those are about data, intellectual property, uh, privacy and things like that. The scary part about cyber attacks into uh, physical environments is that it's physical Something's going to happen. Whether it's loss of life, loss of property, loss of production, it's a lot more impactful and scary. And you know, it's it's going to happen as well, and it's happening, and it's going to happen at a at a higher rate, I believe.
1: I think a really good point that you brought up that day when I was talking to you guys during your demonstration was you're talking about as these facilities start to adopt automation and IoT. know typically there's kind of an evolution of that adoption so they may deploy the technology but they still have personnel go out and still perform that function you know double check the technology to make sure it's working and over time they start to see that hey the technology is working we don't need this this person to be here checking so they remove that person out of the equation then maybe they just have them looking at a screen and so then you know the the bad actors can come in and they can either doing some malicious activity you know making a system crash on the back end but on the display of where the personnel is looking everything looks to be fine or given a you know a false alarm false positive whatever you want to call it and making the person the employee at the refinery or wherever it is actually take an action to cause something bad to happen so when you start to think about just the multitude of ways that things could go bad I mean it's just mm. kind of leaves you you know helpless <laughs> to a point. So I think that was kind of eye-opening for me when you guys were talking about that. One more thing. So you were you said that you guys have been at this for years. When did you guys kind of come up with Mission Secure and decide that you wanted to pursue this venture?
3: So we actually started the company in the summer of 2014. Okay. And the idea was a little bit earlier in that year, I would say the beginning of 2014, and uh, that was, I guess, a few years of, I think, about four years into the research phase. And obviously, research can start out as just thinking about things and white papers until something concrete actually materializes out of that. But yeah, we've been thinking about it, I guess, now for the beginning of 2014. So over five years, we've been thinking about it. But then as an official company, about four and a half years. Okay. And who is the uh, founding team? Was it you and, and one other or over there more? No. So the founding team was made up of, let's see, one, two. I would say five folks. Okay. There were two people from the research team at UVA that came over to, to help found the company, myself, and then also our CEO, David Drescher, who I had worked with at Rome Secure. He was also the CEO at Rome Secure as well. So he and I have almost a 20-year history of working Oh, together. wow. So, That's pretty cool. Yeah. No, we've done a, we've done some good things, and hopefully we'll continue to do so as well
1: here. Yeah, that's that's pretty unique in itself that you guys have already been involved in a, another successful venture and
3: winning on this one. Also, not yeah. to not to forget one other member on the on the founding team. He's a military expert that because the military origins uh, came on board to help us there. Well. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, how did you
1: guys kind of all obviously you and uh, the CEO were working together at that previous venture? But how did you guys go about you know kind of aggregating the rest of the team? How did that all come together?
3: Well, because a lot of the ideas around MSI started around this research, we thought that one of the critical pieces was to actually bring a lot of the know-how over into the company. And so one of the immediate things was to make sure that the research team was going to come over and help start up the company as well. And so, you know, David and I, David Drescher, the CEO... He and I bring a lot of business expertise, technology expertise, but as far as the domain knowledge around the concepts of of, of this cybersecurity solution, we wanted to make sure we had the knowledge in-house and mm-hmm. they weren't just gonna stay as part of the research team, but as part of the actual company. So that was definitely one of the prerequisites uh, to getting the company going.
1: Okay. So you guys, you know, obviously do all this research. You go out and you know, find that it's a valid idea. How did y'all go about starting it? Did you guys start bootstrapping and just developing the software? Obviously, you know we know you guys through Blueberry Capital. So at some point, you took some capital. Kind of elaborate on that that process a little bit. How did you guys go about doing that in the early stages?
3: Sure. I guess the nuts and bolts of actually starting up a company, as I mentioned, David and I have the almost 20-year history, and so we have a lot of understanding of how to get the basics going around uh, building up a company, getting incorporated. You know those kind of basic building blocks. As far as funding, a lot of the folks that helped us out at Rome Secure also came along for the ride at MSI. So we did take on some initial angel investment to, to start out things out. And then some of the things that existed from the research at, uh, at the school, we took and started building upon. So we knew we had to make it more commercial because things coming out of a research group really aren't appropriate to go out and get deployed in a, in a real-life environment. So we knew we had to start getting that built up and, and began that immediately.
1: Okay, very interesting.
0: Is there anything you can say without giving out like proprietary information about like the technology? Is there any analogies you can kind of give as to like how it kind of like works?
3: Yeah, I think at a high level, uh, how I would describe it is really as an out-of-band kind of monitoring solution that also has protection incorporated into it as well. So, so as uh, as Matt mentioned, we're agnostic to the specific environment that we're going in, and, and we're an add-on into into that solution, and so. What we do is is we'll look for indicators of compromise, so any kind of activity that's out of the norm, and then we will also have components of our solution that can actually block and, and do protection. So it's a combination of monitoring and then also blocking at certain key points But really, it's about collecting data around the system that's operating. And you need to collect the data at the right places to then be able to determine that there is something going on that should not be going on to to indicate possibly malicious activity. But it's not only cyber activity, but it can also be breakdowns or operator error, which does happen as well. So we're all about making sure that the system is operating properly. And obviously, if someone is cyber attacking it, it's not going to be operating properly. And so we'll pick that up.
2: I want to piggyback on that if I can. So, Colin, you brought up, you know, industrial Internet of Things, okay? A lot of that's taking place on what we call level zero or the transmitter level. And, well, for all you podcasters out there and, you know, listening to us now, if you have trouble falling asleep, just Google the Purdue model, and then I'll talk about how control systems are broken down. But they're at the level zero where your transmitters and your IoT comes into play. That extra portal that's now added into your network, that is one level where we are actually monitoring, protecting and uh, you know doing a majority of our work as well
1: so level zero is anything you know that'd be considered anything like out in the field and upstream Absolutely. so you know if you have sensors on on your wells or tank batteries or anything mm-hmm. out not on the leases that's considered level zero right and is there anyone else that like really kind of in this space at level zero able to provide protection or is that kind of a new emerging industry
2: I think we're the only people in the space right now yeah we haven't run across anyone else doing it at that level
1: Okay. Well, that's a good competitive advantage to have then, right? <laughs>
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, what are some of the, Matt, this is probably a better question for you, but in oil and gas, what are some of the things that you're seeing when you're talking to customers? Are you seeing, you know, understanding of cybersecurity risk? I mean, I'm sure this is kind of a loaded question depending on the company <laughs> and application that you talk to, but right. I'm just like, I, is I'm there just, like an education
2: barrier, I guess? Depending on who the audience is, That then yes or no. You know, a lot of the process control engineers that I, that I speak with on the downstream side, they know a lot of them have been jumping up on their bosses' desks for the last five years saying, we need to do this. There's other folks that I've run into that are, you know, kind of wake, like I said earlier, they're waking up to this reality of what's really going on and they're they're at the point now where well we're, we're talking about talking about it we're planning to plan we're we're trying to get a for what we're going to define as what how we're going to plan our cyber roadmap and then I've also spoken to folks who have been like nope not interested you know we we're gapped and other network myths that are out there that they'll tell me so you know I, I don't want to chalk it up as to, to people saying that they don't like being told their baby's ugly you know I, I don't think that's the case I just think that you know, the way they want to run their networks, the way they want to run it.
0: Mm -hmm. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you guys currently face or have faced, you know, since inception to now?
3: Well, I would say one of the earlier challenges was just really the awareness of this being an actual problem. As I mentioned early on, uh, we had to do a lot of convincing and evangelizing out there saying that, hey, there is this huge issue in vulnerability in control system environments, and, and it's from a cyber element. And again, the, the concept that, well, we haven't had anything happen to us, so why do we need to worry about it or do anything about it? And so things have actually occurred, which has changed that. And so we've seen a lot of evolution in that area where a lot of folks are now actively looking at solutions, if not planning to, to start looking at solutions. And so uh, that will certainly increase as time goes on. But I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges is just uh, companies understanding, organizations understanding that they need to take action in this area. Yeah, it's like
0: the same, I guess like a an good analogy is like you already have cancer. It's like, okay, well, now we have to fix it. Like, why not
1: prevent it from the very beginning, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm actually looking at this study. I wanted to pull up this stat. So they did this survey on oil and gas cybersecurity risk managers. This was just in 2017, so, you know, year and a half, two years ago. And it says 68% said their companies had suffered at least one security compromise involving the loss of confidential information or the disruption of their operations in the past year. And 66% of those respondents expressed concern that digitalization had made them even more vulnerable. So you can see that was just two years ago. And 68% of cybersecurity risk managers said their companies had had a uh, data breach that was vulnerable information. That's crazy.
3: Yeah, and along the same lines is actually a more recent study that showed that almost nine out of 10 cybersecurity breaches occurred into their industrial environments. And so that's pretty scary. I mean, this isn't just about their enterprise being breached. This is about actually their control system environments being breached. So nine out of 10. And some would say, well, that one out of 10 may just not know.
0: It's it's crazy. So like you think about... Think about the just the number of just like data breaches we've had with applications that we've used. So like so I got for Wells Fargo's an application, but Wells Fargo's been hacked like a million times, right? <laughs> and so like, I feel like I always have to change my information if I had my identity stolen, which we, we mentioned the other day. And the, credit, the credit bureau, so yeah. it's a huge data breach. Yeah, then you've got, uh, what are some of the other big ones? The like Facebook, Target. Google, Target. Well, OPM,
3: OPM. I mean, I was one that received a letter about uh, OPM getting all their personal information around security clearances and things like that. Yeah, I mean, think about, it. those are big
0: companies with like probably some of the best security in the world, you would imagine, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. They're spending money. They have a lot of resources, people, time, energy being devoted towards cybersecurity protection. However, you can see that they're still getting breached. And so it's, it's like trying to you know, plug holes in a wall that's leaking of water. I mean, you plug one, another one's going to open up and more water is going to leak. And you plug that one, another one's going to be found. And so, so really, uh, I think the, the conventional wisdom, the understanding is that really you can't keep people out. And so uh, really, we do look at it from the angle of what do you do when they get in? So our solution really kind of looks at it from that perspective. Instead of trying to plug up all the holes that are out there, we look at the system inside, the industrial control system, the operational environment, and how do we ensure that we can first detect things that are happening? And then also, how can we better protect in that situation and keep that production going or to mitigate whatever the attack is going to do.
1: Yeah, I like that angle. So, you know, you understand that you're not always going to be able to keep everybody out, but once they're in, how do you mitigate the risk or the, you know, control the damage that yeah. they're able to incur? So what actually happens? So say that, you know, your your software picks up on an attack taking place. What actually happens at that point? Does your software shut down the operation does it
3: yeah so it's going to depend on that actual environment i mean first of all there's going to be a human element so we're going to let someone know that something is, is just not right and so our solution does have the capability to do an automated corrective action so if the right course of action in that situation is to shut down the plant well we could certainly initiate that action however i think the control system world is really hesitant to allow changes to just happen without someone actually initiating it. So we could certainly have a human in the loop where they would be told that there's something happening and then give them the option to actually hit the button that then our system could take that appropriate follow-on action if needed. But really, it's, it's, it's about providing the information at the right time to make informed decisions. I mean, that's really what's about. I mean, you referenced earlier that there's a spoofing that can occur. Operators can be given misinformation and they can either, you know, not do something because everything looks good from that misinformation or that misinformation directs them to do a bad action actually when they shouldn't have. That's like, that was, like, that's what I would do if I was a hacker, just like trick people, like put it off on the employee.
1: Right. Make the employee look like they're... I'd do some like Ocean's <laughs> Eleven shit. Like I'd get dressed up as <laughs> Like I'd get
0: a job there. I'd go for the long play. I'd work there for like six months.
1: And that probably happens, right? I mean, I doubt it's always just like, you know, you attack, you get in the system, and then you do an action right there. I'm sure that you guys could attest to this, that there's probably, you know, you have breaches within these systems, and then they just sit there.
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what's been found uh, is that uh, oftentimes people are in your system for a long periods of time. I think there's some study out there, they say six to nine months on average, that the bad guys are actually in your system. They're doing recon, figuring out what your normal operations are, trying to understand what can they do? What, how can they maximize the damage in, in that situation? So, so yeah, they're definitely in there. But, and I want to mention something else, actually. I mean, we've been talking an awful lot about breaches. Well, the breaches aren't the only source of where we can worry about things. I mean, you've got supply chain, threats that are out there. And that's about where you buy something. Let's say it's a printer and you go to plug it in on your network. Well, the bad stuff's already in that printer. It's in the supply chain. So you've actually introduced the bad stuff into your environment. So even if you are air-gapped, which means that you're totally disconnected, you're actually not connected to the internet. So one can't breach your defenses through the internet connection. Well, you're an island. Well, you just brought the bad stuff onto your island by bringing that printer in. And there are also malicious uh, insiders as well. I mean, people sometimes are are the easiest target. And so, a disgruntled employee, you know, it could be just someone who's angry with them. Like like you're saying, you come in and pretend to be an employee for six months, and then now you've got the keys to the kingdom, and you can cause whatever kind of damage you want because you're on the inside already.
0: Do you guys have any data on like motives be- behind some of these malicious attacks? Like, I mean, obviously, if you're stealing like data that you can go and sell, or you're like, obviously, there's some kind of like monetary gain. But in the in the event that there's
1: not. We are simply just coming in and just destroying things. I mean, in oil and gas, it's really a matter of national security, right? I mean, it's an attack on the yeah. on the energy grid. So, you know, kind of speaking on that, what is, is there like any government, you know, support or action when it comes to cybersecurity and oil and gas, or is it just kind of every company's
2: on, on their own? On the gen side, absolutely. And, you know, we're getting into that as well. You know, we mentioned utilities, but, you know, gen, you know, it's a very similar system that we would see downstream. And so they they are actually supported. They've got some regulations called NERC-SIP and what is it, ICS-CERT is is another bureaucracy. You're out of DHS? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, underneath DHS that are providing a lot of those regulations, some monitoring power gen stations. Okay. Yeah, they definitely provide support and uh, on-site incident response
3: and things like that. So they provide a lot of information out to the community and they hold actual uh, events, I think twice a year or something like that, where people can come in, organizations, academia, oil and gas companies themselves can go out and learn about what's going on and what they can do to, to better protect themselves
0: that's a really good point you would imagine some something that would be subsidized yeah for how important it is to the
1: economy mm-hmm. i think i should I mean you were just talking about this yesterday about how messed up it is the point that you just brought up dan about you know, if you brought in a printer to your island and it had malware on it just you could have fort knox level security and it still doesn't matter you could bring yeah. in an iot sensor or something that has malware on it and that's just well, and
2: that's, I mean, that's thats why I bring up the myth of air gapping, you know? I mean, it's, okay, that's great, but when, when's the next patch update that you're going to do? You mm-hmm. know, you're going to have to connect somehow, and, you know, same goes with... Uh,
1: so I'm assuming air gapping is just being shut off from any transmission of data? Right, right. Okay.
2: Yeah, you're, right. you're not connected to the internet whatsoever. Okay. But at the same time, anytime you're going to want to update, you, you've got to bring something in, or you got to connect, you've got to do something.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, like I'd be out on XTO pad working for him, and I'd be trying to get a pipe tally from the company man, and I want to put him in my USB drive into his computer. And, you know, these companies won't let you put USB sticks in their computers anymore. I'm like, fuck, man, I just want a pipe tally. I'm not a hacker. <laughs> I'm just a roughneck.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in, in some of those instances where it is a... It's an outside uh, carrier or vector that's bringing in some malicious code. You know, it, a lot of it is some of those thumbsticks, people don't know what's on them, you know. I, mm-hmm. I just thought I had pictures of, you know, my kids in their last, you know, July 4th barbecue, but turns out there's, you know, God knows what on there, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you could just be, you know, plugging it in in and out of your computer and right. never see anything, but it could still be carrying some malware on it. Right? It's, still, it's, just,
0: it's really scary once you really kind of start thinking about it. It's like, so what if you were to, like, hack into like the vendor list and understand like what equipment you have on order. And then you hack somebody else and install malware for something that you just purchased. Mm -hmm. And now it comes in. So it's like, it's hacked from the OEM the whoever you bought it from, do you remember when I had my Instagram account hacked by
1: that Russian? Yeah, dude.
2: You've got to be the most hacked guy I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, I
1: had my my personal identity stolen three times and then yeah, I got my Instagram hacked by a Russian. What? But the hell? They, they didn't disconnect my Facebook from it on the back end, so I was able to access it through my Facebook and regain control of it. But yeah, they changed everything to Russian. So after that I, I started using one password and I've got all fifty character and encrypted passwords for all my accounts now. Beautiful. So you guys going to do like mission secure software for iPhones and computers anytime soon. I'll need it. <laughs> so what are some goals that you guys have for 2019? It sounds like, you're, you know, you're building up the team here in Houston to focus on the on the energy sector. What are what are some guys or some things that you guys are like really looking to grow out in the next year or so?
3: I think we're really looking to grow out the number of deployments that we have. I mean, we are an early stage company and we just want to get out and, and promote this idea even further and show how our solution really can help and address this this situation. Very good. Yeah,
1: I think this is going to be, you know, a theme that we're going to see coming up more. I, I've already seen it coming up in articles and uh, videos on LinkedIn. So obviously the industry's kind of starting to move into that direction of realizing that it's a problem and that there's going to need to be solutions for those problems. And I really like this because just like you said, like we can't always stay one step ahead of anyone that has bad intentions you know usually they're one step ahead of us but if you can deploy software internally that recognizes and sees that there's malicious activity going on then you can you know make informed decisions off of that so i think that's a really good you know value proposition for anyone that's looking to bolster up their cybersecurity. so if companies are wanting to reach out to y'all who are y'all looking to talk to? Matt, I know you're going out to Midland next week. You're talking to a few EMPs out there. Uh-huh. Obviously, you got some guys in the midstream industry. Who are you really looking to kind of help out in the uh, near term?
2: I'll talk to anybody who's got a PLC. <laughs> and, you know,
1: Matt it, says he'll talk to anybody that has a pulse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it. That's, that's a good one. No, uh, any type of, you know, if you're running the smallest process control system, You know, I I want to talk to you. And I mean, that could be anything in in mining. There's a lot of sand mining going on now out in West Texas to support a lot of the fracking. Mm -hmm. Those aren't being done with guys with shovels, you know. So is
1: is y'all's technology, it's scalable? Is it scalable from the biggest operators to the smallest operators? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. You know, just the infrastructure within oil and gas too, like the frack sand mines. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's all very viable for cybersecurity applications. So Absolutely.
3: Yeah. I'd also like to add that we also do uh, assessment services. So as I mentioned, there's a range of where companies are at in the spectrum of where they are cybersecurity-wise. And so companies that don't really know where they are and they want to start looking at this problem space, we're certainly available to help them understand where they sit today and then help them to plan a roadmap of how they can get better security into their environment. So anyone that's starting to think about this subject matter, certainly please get in touch as well. Awesome. So you guys... You know, I think you said
1: earlier that this is kind of the the technology is kind of on a case by case basis. So you guys will come in there, do an assessment and then see how your technology can be deployed and bolted on to their current systems. Is that kind of the process
3: for it? Absolutely. And it goes beyond just our solution. I mean, there are a lot of things that that companies can do to to put themselves in a better position. So we're not about just going in to sell our solution. I mean, we want them to truly improve upon their situation. So we'll tell them all about their policies or procedures. You know, do they have disaster recovery plan? I mean, things that go beyond just deploying the MSI platform. So we we really just want to help companies understand where they are and and get them to a better place.
2: Part of that assessment is really is, is looking at their network architecture as it is right now, and then afterwards showing them, okay, this is what you thought you had. This is what's really going on. You had a couple of nodes that were on the network you didn't know about, or hey, if we we'll, we'll present a two B architecture, or hey, this is a best case scenario. If you lay out your network architecture in this, okay, not only are you going to be better defended against any type of malicious code, but you may get some more uh, bandwidth out of uh, you know out of your network speed as well. You know, it's it's a lot of it is you know kind of information system fundamentals when it comes to that stuff.
1: Okay. Where can guys find you if they want to reach out? Both of y'all on LinkedIn, right? hmm uh-huh. Okay, so Dan Park, Matt Malone, you can find the link, them on LinkedIn. links in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put links in the show notes. And then what's y'all's website? Is it msi.com Missionsecure.com. Missionsecure.com. So go to missionsecure.com. Do you guys have a video of y'all's demo on the website?
3: Think we have some videos but i don't know if it's the same one that you've seen so okay
1: well we gotta we gotta work on that man we'll, we'll we gotta get a some video, video there
3: of, yeah we gotta get a video of your demo
1: <laughs> we'll post it on the website so guys appreciate y'all coming on the show uh really thank you for taking the time i'm excited about the technology like i said if y'all want to reach out to mission secure find them on linkedin find them on online jake you get anything before we wrap up let's wrap it up man wrap it up all right thank you guys for coming on all right thank thanks. you both All right, Digital Wildcatters,
0: thank you guys for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this, please take two seconds to rate, review, possibly send it to every single one of your coworkers that you work with. Just spam them. We will catch you guys on the next episode. We love you guys.